Hello you. Yes, you who have just tuned into the first episode of this City Talks season 3, a podcast about Aussie music in all its shapes and forms presented by a pretty opinionated host from Europe. This international accent you're hearing right now belongs to me, Saba, the mastermind behind the City Maguibles project. Good to see you here again, although obviously we can't see each other. How are you? Ready for your music chat fix this week? Then you're in for a real treat. Here is why. Being a music blogger has its ups and downs. Unlike a music journalist, I run my own show in that I write about what I want, when I want and how I want it. But it can also be a double-edged sword. Just because you can all of the above, that means you can also stop being objective and critical at some point. That's why I do follow professional Australian music publications and look up to some journalists. So Safina Fuamoli is one of them. I was super stoked when she agreed to speak to me, especially that she wears many hats in the business. She is a content producer, podcast host, mentor, facilitator, radio presenter, writer, judge, keynote speaker and panelist. But I'm 100% sure I've forgotten to mention some other occupations. We'll explore some of them in more detail in this talk. So Safina has also worked with every respectable title or institution in the Australian music business you can potentially think of. Like Rolling Stone, Triple J, Melbourne Music Week, the ARIA Awards, Australian Music Vault, Splendor and the Grass Festival or the National Indigenous Music Awards just to name a few. She's also been hosting one of my favorite podcasts, Hit Different, along with Mikey Cahill and other industry colleagues. A dream come true for me. Well, maybe one day. I spoke to the Samoan Australian journalist a while ago already, so you might hear a few references to things that were quite fresh back then, like the Grammys or upcoming parliamentary elections. But I feel that what we've discussed is always relevant. So I'm super happy to share this chat with you. In this silly talk, we're focusing on a broader perspective, speaking about some generalizations related to the Australian music biz. But you'll also get a glimpse into Sosefina's music taste and opinions on some pressing matters. Just a heads up that the quality of the recording is sometimes not 100% ideal. You see, the distance between Europe and Australia sometimes manifests itself in the least expected ways and through the internet connection mostly. But I promise you'll get used to that interference before it starts annoying you for good. Now that we have that out of the way, let's dive into the chat. And because every story is different, I started by asking Sosefina about her journey to being one of the most recognizable and respected Australian music journalists. Was it a coincidence or a deliberate pursuit from the beginning? Um, I guess in terms of it being an accident or being planned, I think it, I mean, a lot of the things that I've done outside of music writing have kind of been like happy accidents. I feel like it, it started off you know, music journalism was like the the full aim for me. It's always been sort of the end game, but everything else around it, you know, started out as being ways to cover my rent or ways to 
sort of learn more and then put those skills into the music journalism side of things. So um, when I first went to university, I had in my head, I'm like, I I think I want to be a journalist Uh Um, and I think I want to be in the arts or in music, but the the degree I was studying wasn't necessarily taking me in that direction. So I ended up completing an arts degree. which was still good because I, I got to be a bit more flexible with what I wanted to do. Um, also still, you know, I took some really valuable skills away from that in terms of my writing and, and developing a bit of a critical voice. Um, but at during that period, I was starting to review shows, uh, review music for, for different uh, online publications. So that was back around 20, 2009, 2010. Um, and then just started, you know, profiling musicians and yeah, kind of working out of South Australia, which at the time, I mean, it still is kind of like a smaller town right now, but especially back then it felt quite isolated from what was happening elsewhere in the country. Um, so that's kind of where it started. And then in my early twenties, until about the age of 25 or so mm-hmm. um, I started traveling a bit for the job you know going to festivals overseas profiling them uh, doing like music discovery festivals that sort of thing and, and sort of being like the Australian on ground at you know in Europe or in the US which was a lot of fun um, and then yeah that's just kind of how it started and then you know the years just go by and then all of a sudden you're two and a half years into a pandemic you know <laughs> yes tell me about it um but i'm just wondering was it easy to get your foot in the door so to speak or is it some, a business that is like so wild and like you just have to have a lot of contacts and or what do you think well yeah i mean it was interesting for me because again like living and operating out of a smaller town or a smaller capital city there weren't that many contacts mm-hmm. uh in that city to, to do what i wanted to do much less the many opportunities to Beyond ground at different music shows in Melbourne or Sydney or the bigger cities, there wasn't much opportunity for me to actually have my face in those rooms or in front of those people. So what I would do is kind of use the Adelaide uh, element to my advantage and eventually I'd have publicists or, you know, sometimes even artists in general, They when they tour through South Australia, they often get their management to hit me up if they had to do interviews or whatnot because they were like, oh, we know that that one journalist who let us know that she was in that place that we've never heard of, she sounded cool or, you know, she gave us a good interview. Why don't we invite her to the show? So from there it was kind of like constantly being in contact with people in that regard and, and being that sort of face in town that they could call on because oftentimes they wouldn't know anybody else. Um, yeah. And through that, I started to gain a bit of momentum to the point where when I started doing festivals overseas or festivals elsewhere in Australia, people would be like, oh, you know, like they often wouldn't assume that I lived in South Australia okay, because I'd be doing work for so many other publications or, you know, be like, oh, so-and-so, you know, so-and-so says that they know you, but you know, they live in Sydney, like, how does that work? Are you in Sydney now? So it was, yeah, it was kind of just like by word of mouth, but I, I definitely used the fact that I wasn't in the capital city to my advantage, for sure. 
Okay. And that's something interesting I wanted to ask you about as well, because as far as I've read, you lived in Adelaide, but you also know the Darwin music scene or the Darwin kind of like culture. I did, yeah. Um, I did 10 years up in Darwin. Um, I lived up there throughout high school. Um, mm -hmm. And then when I moved back to South Australia for university, I was going backwards and forwards because I still had family up there at the time. So I know that scene quite well. Um, I used to be a well, I used to be part of it as a dancer um, when I lived up there. So I got to know a lot of the live musicians, a lot of the venues, um, a lot of the festival and art scenes up there. Some of them who I still work with today, albeit in different capacities. Um, and then, yeah, I, I moved to Melbourne, I want to say, like 2017 into 2018-ish. And again, it just it felt like it was, well, A, it felt like it was time. Um, there's always this running joke that a lot of people from Adelaide always will move to Melbourne. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's not that much of a jump, but um, my partner lives here. So, you know, we decided to just make a go of it. And, you know, it's just in terms of work opportunities and stuff, it was just better for me to be here. So, yeah, this is this is home. In 2019, Solsefina was one of the speakers at Big Sound, the Australian Music Industries Conference held annually in September in Brisbane. Her keynote was partially a reflection on some questions I also get a lot. What exactly is Australian music? Does it have any particular sound? And how is it different from other global scenes? In her speech, Sosefina arrived at the conclusion that Australian music doesn't have just one face right now. It's rather a vibrant and powerful collection of many different voices. I definitely agree with that statement. But because Sosefina's experience and knowledge of Australian music is so much more solid than mine, I wanted to dig a little deeper into that topic. So this is what we discussed in the next section of this Silly Talk. Um, well, I think that the point of that particular keynote or that, that panel was to sort of highlight that there wasn't one specific sound, mm -hmm. you know, like I feel like if you look at other markets like the, the US, for example, you know, you could isolate different regions and say this region is specific to country. Like you'd look at... Um, Nashville you think of Nashville you think of country music you think of like that being like a mecca for that sort of songwriting you think of Chicago New York LA they're very uh synonymous with distinctive rap sounds and rap eras and you go like further into the um well, I guess you know more in like California more broadly speaking pop superstars think of Australia we don't have that regionality okay. we don't have that like central voice. Um, I feel like if you were to ask people, you know, about Australian music now, they would probably give you Tame Impala. They would probably give you Plume. They yeah, would like probably the give acts. you yeah. an Amy Shark. Mm -hmm. Again, and those are like three distinctively different sounding yeah. artists. Um, and then you look at artists who have come out in the last decade, like Jessica Sorusu 
like Daniel Hughes, like Tampa the Great, like they they all sort of don't fit the mold of what an Australian artist True. may have looked like ten years ago. So that was that was kind of the point of the keynote, and I, I do feel like we're in a really interesting space at the moment, where we're seeing a lot of uh, really awesome First Nations Australian artists create music, and it being celebrated uh, in a way that isn't you know, tokenistic or it's not being taken advantage of. Uh, and then on the same token, we've got some really cool experimental artists who are coming through, but younger artists mm-hmm. will be being given a chance. And I, I feel like that's what's making Australian music so exciting um, at the moment. And that's why it's being picked up as it is overseas. Like the Grammys happened today and yeah. Rufus Dussault won their first Grammy. Yeah, um, my favourite act. Yeah, I love them so much. And yeah. like Hiatus Coyote were up for their second nomination, you know, and it's it's that sort of music that's being picked up and it's it's being noticed overseas and internationally to the point where, you know, maybe 10 or 20 years ago, if you said you were from Australia, it was kind of like, again, the, the, the geography kind of played against us. It was like a, mm-hmm. a very niche thing. Whereas now you've got so many producers, so many musicians, so many touring musicians as well who are from here who are just consistent, well, pre-pandemic anyway, they were consistently touring mm-hmm. to the point where it was like, who isn't from Australia at this point? You know what I mean? Because we were everywhere. True, true. So I feel like it's a really exciting moment for the music coming out of this country just because it is so different and people have the creative freedom to do different things. Yeah. And do you think the pandemic had something to do with it? Because look, in the pandemic, like everything was a bit more democratized, if you know what I mean, because, you know, touring was kind yeah. of bad. So everybody had kind of the same opportunities to present themselves online. So do you think that had something to do with this, um, what's happening with the Aussie music scene? Or is it some, a phenomenon on its own that kind of started already before the pandemic? Um, Probably column A, column B. Like, I feel like since streaming's become a big thing, it's kind of taken, it's given more artists, it's given artists more opportunities to collaborate in ways that they probably wouldn't have been able to prior. Um, so you've got songwriting hubs happening in Australia or overseas that are, like, pairing songwriters and producers from all over the world together, whereas before you would have had to have been flying different places and you would have had to have been, like, four different conferences to get a lineup for these things you can now just apply online and you'll do like a week-long intensive uh, online somewhere which is really cool I think the pandemic has highlighted the need for those sorts of things um, and the, the pandemic has also given artists the ability to be like okay well we're stuck in the house or we're stuck in the studio we can't do anything so let's just have fun with it like even if it's making music that we're not going to release officially or if it's going to be released not as part of our official tour cycle, let's just have fun with it and see what happens. So that's really opened up the channels for um, a lot of cross-collaboration. I feel like people have definitely started to notice that more, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to kind of go back to that topic of you having lived in Adelaide, Melbourne and Darwin. You said that there is no originality Mm -hmm. when it comes to the music, but do you kind of notice, I guess, I don't know, maybe certain characteristics of of different music scenes, especially around the capital cities? Yeah, Hmm? absolutely. Um, In Darwin, especially, uh, because again, that's if we're talking about cities, that's the smallest one of the three. Um, And when I was coming up, there was like a lot of 
uh, it was weird. And I think it, it's probably changed a lot. But when I was there, I was obviously there as a teenager into, you know, just turning 20. Um, they had like a big reggae slash hip hop scene up there. Uh, but a lot of the Indigenous artists who were there, that's where a lot of those reggae influences were coming from. So there was a lot of rock, like classical rock music, um, reggae up there. And then you, there's also they've got like a really thriving heavy music scene up oh, in really? the UK, which okay. is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then moving to Adelaide, you know, growing up in Adelaide, like you've, you've got some, you know, classic Australian artists who either cut their teeth there's touring artists there. I mean, you know, you've got like the, the cold chisels and like the ACDCs and the Sears mm. and, you know, the Jimmy Barnes and all those, you know, top hoods, obviously, that, you know, they rep at a Um But there are, there are plenty of different, um, I guess, genres that sort of thrive down there. Again, it's got a really healthy folk scene. Mm-hmm. Um, very big singer-songwriter sort of community in Adelaide. Similarly, you know, the the sort of experimental and jazz scenes down there is also quite notable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, Melbourne is just like, it's the melting pot, you know. It's a place that, like, so many people come to uh, to develop, uh, to gig from, you know, all over the country. Like I said earlier, like a lot of Adelaide people find themselves out here just because of the opportunity, Since Australia has such a vibrant music scene, you would think that it gets heaps of funding from both the local authorities and federal government, right? Well, that's not entirely the case. There has been a lot of discussions, also in the pandemic, about how it could and should be changed. So in this part of the Silly Talk, you'll hear a few names of grassroots organizations and cool initiatives that champion Australian music on many fronts. If you're keen on finding out more about them, I'll check links to their websites in the episode notes. But for now, let's hear it directly from Sosefina. How does she feel about the funding? And if she were the Arts Minister, what would she be doing differently? Just keep in mind, please, that we discussed everything before the May elections, when there was a significant change in the government, going from the Liberal to the Labour Party, which I feel is slightly more arts-friendly. I mean, look, it's not like there hasn't been any funding that's gone into the arts industry over the last couple of years. I just feel like a lot of it has been misplaced. Okay. Um, You know, but... I, I can get it, the idea of the government pouring a lot of money into export and, and mm. like large scale touring because that's going to provide more jobs for you know for more venue staffing, for more security staffing, for more you know arena sized gigs. Like that's going to provide more jobs, therefore more money back into the sector as it would if they were going to fund like a fifty cap room in you know in the suburbs but mm-hmm. it's just it, it there's been such an inconsistency with the government's support of live music here in victoria mm-hmm. and i feel like as we come up to an election year we're going to really see how genuine the uh proposed 
support is going to be. Um, if I was the minister, mm-hmm. if I had any power, um, I'd be putting more money into, you know, the grassroots organisations that are okay. trying to be on the ground and being like, you know, even if we don't have any money, we're still going to try and be out there working with live music venues, cutting deals to be like, okay, we're going to host a live music showcase here's how you can be involved in terms of alcohol sponsorship and in terms of brand sponsorship. Like there are organisations everywhere that are trying to really think outside the box because, you know, the government just isn't coming to play. And I feel like those are the sorts of people you need to be looking at in terms of where you're putting your money and partnering up with because if they've got the ideas and they've got the resources and they've also got the trust of the community, um, that's how you start building sustainable models i feel especially moving forward sure and uh would you be able to give me a, a maybe like an, an example of such a grassroots organization that you have in mind sure um so there was a live music series okay. that took place in um the the idea was like uh bringing a platform to like the outer suburbs of Melbourne okay um, putting artists and producers together in, in a, a bit of a developmental series so you had like aspiring venue uh, managers coming together with producers and stuff and the idea was that they would um, develop their own music event they'd have you know X amount of support from a governing body oh. but it's like regional arts Victoria okay um, so they basically developed this series called new print oh it took place in four four different um suburban hubs mm-hmm. so they these young people would develop their own like music event that would showcase new talent um book everything kind of run it themselves and then the idea would be like it kind of bleeds out into the local scene so you could have other venues wanting to get involved you could have other artists wanting to get involved with networking but that's community growing as well right so that that was one i could think of um but yeah you've got like a lot of the stuff that uh like radio stations even like three triple r like they do a lot of outreach as well because it's all volunteer run um so they work with labels like music in exile which which do a, they put on a lot of free events for the community Um, that also spotlight live music and live musicians. Um, if you yeah, if you look into the yeah the stuff that Music in Exile do, uh, they're incredible. They're they're real trailblazers. Josefina's dedication to championing Australian music is also visible on a different front. She is the conference programming advisor for Big Sound, the conference I mentioned a few minutes ago. Due to the pandemic, the event was organized online one year and cancelled the following one, except Black Sound that I wrote about on my blog. Check it out there. However, Big Sound is going ahead this September in its usual format again. Since Sosefina influences the program in a way, I wanted to know what topics she'd like to see included. I'm keen to perhaps implement some more workshops. Uh, as part of the conference, uh, critical writers labs, critical you know photography sessions that kind of link aspiring writers and photographers up with not necessarily career-long mentors, but the length of the festival, 
uh, linking them up with like established writers and photographers just to sort of work on their craft and again sort of do what we're doing like swap stories that could be could be beneficial could help um there needs to be i think more panel topics on sustainability and touring what we're doing post pandemic to to sort of get musicians making money again what are the sustainable models for releasing music um obviously there's there's more space for discussions around dismantling the current system of you know disadvantage towards first nations artists disadvantage towards artists of color disadvantages towards musicians with disabilities and disadvantages towards women in music um which has always been something that i feel like big sound is always headed towards but i'm hoping i can again sort of facilitate get some people in the right rooms um and, and sort of help those conversations get started that's cool i'm looking forward to it um, yeah it should be cool i can tell you right now that most of sosefina's big sound wishes have made their way to this year's programming at least the part that has been already released I'll provide a link to the conference's website in the episode notes, so you can go ahead and compare it. So that's it for this silly talk. But it's not the end of my conversation with Sosefina. Check out the Silly Anchor, where you'll find out more about her personal preferences. I also recommend it to those of you who are keen on some solid advice on how to do things properly and get music journals' attention. You can find Sosefina all over the internet, but I'll just share her website in the episode notes. You can take it from there. As usual, find me on the sillymcquiggles.blog for more Aussie music-related stories. I'm on Groova and Patreon too, but still working up the courage to start a TikTok channel. So stay tuned, because you never know. Thanks heaps for listening to this episode. And please do subscribe to the podcast if you find it valuable. You know, it's just one small click on the keyboard for you, but a giant leap in the digital world for me. So thank you and speak to you soon.